This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. You guys can be seated. I want to ask you to open your Bibles this morning, whether you're here or at home, open to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, this is Trinity Sunday, and we're going to look at a great Trinitarian text today. We just sung about the fact that our God saves, and we're going to talk today about how the three persons of the true, the one true and living God work together for our salvation and our sanctification, our growth as believers. Romans chapter 5. So let me ask you to look in your copy of God's Word and let's look together at the first five verses of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5 and let's look at verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You know, one of the things I'm missing these days is, is baseball, and I, I miss watching it for sure. But I feel really sorry for these kids growing up who couldn't play ball this spring because I can't imagine a spring growing up without playing baseball. But something happened that made the game a lot more enjoyable for me between my sixth and seventh grade year. The winner of my seventh grade year, I got glasses. And for the two years prior to that, hitting had been such a struggle for me. I would go up there just hoping to draw a walk but after I got glasses, I went up there with a totally new approach. I wasn't going up there just to help, to try to work a walk. I was going up there to try to do damage to the baseball. And that's because I was seeing in a way that I was not seeing before. And something like that happens when we begin to read the Bible with Trinitarian lenses. Things in scripture just light up like they haven't before. And, and this text that we're looking at today is just a wonderful Trinitarian text that shows us how the three persons of the one true and living God, how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working together in both our, our salvation and our sanctification, our growth in Christ. And we're gonna look at how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working to bring us the benefits of our salvation and our sanctification. The first benefit is peace with God. Peace with God. Let's look together 
at verse 1. So the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So just before chapter 5, throughout Romans 4 and at the end of Romans 3, Paul has been talking about justification by faith, which means that when we place our trust in Jesus, that we are made right with God. We are given a righteous standing before God, not on the basis of our own righteousness, but on the basis of the righteousness of Christ. And now he says that since that has happened, since we have been justified by faith, the benefit of that is that we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the corollary of that is that if we've not been justified by faith, then we are not at peace with God. I've had many conversations with people through the years and people will essentially say, say to me, hey, me, me and God are all good. Things are all good between me and God. But listen, if you haven't been justified by faith, then things are not good between you and God. You're not at peace with God because the only way to the Father is through the Son. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to the Father is through the Son, and so without the Son, we, we are not at peace with, with God. But you can be. <laughs> you can be at peace with God. Turn to Christ and trust Him. Receive Him as your Savior, Lord, and King. And when you are united to Christ by faith, then you are at peace with God. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when we looked at the ascension of Christ, we talked about what Christ is doing now. He is risen from the dead. He has ascended to the right hand of the throne of God and there he is our intercessor and he is our, our advocate as believers. First John chapter two and verse one says, my little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Listen, as a believer, God the Father accepts you and loves you as his child, not on the basis of your own righteousness, which is never going to cut it, but on the basis of the perfect righteousness of his son. Because his son is at the Father's right hand and he is there today advocating for you. And he says to the Father, if you're in Christ, he says, she's one of mine. He's one of mine. But how does that come to us? How did any of us ever trust Christ to begin with? It wasn't in our nature to do that, to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ. None of us could do that on our own. How did that happen? 1 Corinthians 12.3 tells us, it says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're in Christ today, if you have turned from your sins and placed your trust in Christ, 
That did not happen because you were wiser than other people or because you were more virtuous than other people or because you were more spiritually intuitive than other people. It happened because the Holy Spirit opened your blind eyes to see who Jesus is and his love and to trust in him. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit who brought conviction to your heart if you were in Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8, Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Wilson preached about that last week. Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. He has been sent And Jesus says in verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. It was the Spirit who brought conviction to our hearts and enabled us to turn to Christ. We could not have done that on our own. Now, do you see how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all working together for our salvation. Now, unfortunately, this is not the way that a lot of Christians talk about the Trinity. <laughs> a lot of times, when you hear people talk about the Trinity, they, they, they view it as some sort of a problem to be solved, you know, or some kind of an oddity that they quite, can't quite make sense of, and people try to come up with all kinds of you know, crazy ways to, uh, to, to, to illustrate the, the Trinity, and it just doesn't quite convey what, what the Bible conveys. Mike, Michael Reeves in Delighting in the Trinity says this. He says, too often the Trinity is seen not as a solution and a delight, but as an oddity and a problem. In fact, some of the ways people talk about the Trinity seem to reinforce that idea. Think, for example, of all those desperate-sounding illustrations. The Trinity, some helpful soul explains, it's a bit like an egg where there's a shell, the yolk, and the white, and yet it's all one egg. <laughs> he, no, says another, the Trinity is more like a shamrock leaf. That's one leaf, but it's got three bits sticking out, just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And one wonders why the world laughs. Listen, when the Bible talks about the Trinity, It's not talking about eggs and three-leaf clovers and the three states of H2O. When the Bible talks about the Trinity, it's talking about the three persons of the one true and living God working together for our salvation, which is a lot more exciting. And he he brings us peace with, with, with God. Second, benefit that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working together to bring us is access, access to God. Paul says in verse two, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast or rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So earlier in the service, we sang that great hymn, Holy holy, holy, which is based on Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 1 through 3. It says this, 
in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now in verse 2, it talks about the seraphim, which were angelic beings. The seraphim are, are angelic creatures that, that minister in the presence of, of, of God. Literally, the word seraphim means burning ones. Ray Ortland describes the seraphim as, as, as living flames of nuclear-powered praise. And yet, what are these sinless, angelic beings doing in the presence of God? The text says that they are shielding their eyes because of the glory, the brightness of the glory of God. They are covering their feet because feet are a sign of creatureliness and these are creatures, not the creator. They are utterly humbled before the holy God. And then there are the cherubim. Remember in, in Holy, 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 what did we sing? We sang cherubim and seraphim falling down before him. So the cherubim comes from Isaiah 37 and verse 16. It's one of those texts where we, we see, again, these are angelic beings. Isaiah 37, 16, Lord of armies, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God, you alone. Now what does it mean when it says that God is enthroned between the cherubim? It's talking about the, the, the Ark of the Covenant that was inside the Holy of, of Holies in the tabernacle and later in the temple. This was the place, the Holy of Holies, where the, where the very presence of God dwelled. And there in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant containing the Ten Commandments. But on top of the Ark of the Covenant, there were golden statues of the, of the cherubim, one on each side. And, and they were both bowed. They're these angelic beings, sinless angelic beings, are both bowed low in the presence of God. So listen, if, if, if sinless angelic beings like the cherubim and the seraphim are, are covering, covering their eyes and they're bowed low before the presence of the glory of God, then how in the world can sinful creatures like you and me have access to such a holy God? Only through the Son of God. Only because the Son lived, came and lived the perfect life that we could never live. Only because Christ lived a life that was utterly without sin and then went to the cross and died for our sins and was raised from the dead and has now ascended into the heavens on our behalf as our intercessor and our advocate. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 
And verses 14 and following says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Listen, the Bible says that we have access to God. We have access to this, this holy, glorious God. It says that we can come before his throne of grace, not timidly, but boldly, with confidence, knowing that he loves us as his children, why? Because Christ has gone there before us. And, and, and because of his work, because we are united to the Son by faith, the Father loves us as his own sons and daughters. We have been adopted as sons and daughters of the King. But again, how did that happen? How did that happen? Romans 8, 8 tells us exactly how it happened. Romans 8, verses 14 and 15. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. How did you come to Christ? How did any of us come to Christ? It was only because the Spirit of God turned our stony hearts into hearts of flesh. It's only by the Holy Spirit that any of us could say Jesus is Lord. And it's only by the Holy Spirit that any of us can say Abba Father. The third benefit that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit brings to us is rejoicing in God. Rejoicing in God. Verse three. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Now he says here that we, that we as believers boast or rejoice in our afflictions, <clears throat> in our sufferings, not because of them, but in them, in them. How? Because we know that God is good and we know that he loves us and we know that he's causing all things to work together for good to those who love him. And one of the good things that he's doing in our lives through affliction, through suffering, is that he is bringing about in us the quality of endurance. Now as American believers, a lot of times we don't talk much about endurance because, because a lot of American believers have crafted a version of Christianity that does not include suffering and trials, but that's not reality. Reality is that life in this fallen world, even for Christians, includes much suffering, much pain, many trials, but we don't go through them alone. God is teaching us to endure, to persevere. And as he, as he does that, 
he's teaching us to look more and more to him. Look at Hebrews uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. But how do we do that? Verse 2, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now again, what is Jesus doing at the right hand of the throne of God? He is interceding for and advocating for his people. But again, who made that possible? Who made that possible? How did you come to Christ? How did any of us come to Christ? Only by the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verses 4 and 5 is talking about, Paul's, Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he's, he's writing to this church that he had, he had, had founded himself, he had, he had visited there, and he had seen what happened when he went there and he preached the gospel in Thessalonica. And he says, this is how it was, guys. This is how it was when, when I came and, and proclaimed the gospel to you. Do you remember what it was like? He says there, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit. And with full assurance. Did the, did the Thessalonians come to Christ on their own? <laughs> did you come to Christ on your own? No. It was the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives that enabled us to come to Christ. And so, do you see how Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all working together for our salvation? What about our sanctification? What about our, our growth in, 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 in Christ? Look at, verse, look at verse four. Paul says that endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. In other words, as, we, as God teaches us to endure through trials, he is refining us. He's producing a proven character. And as that happens, we learn to hope in God more. Do you know how you make it through trials? Not by gritting your teeth harder, but by trusting in God more. Hoping in God more. But, but again, who brings that about? Who enables us to experience God like that? To hope in him. To experience his love as a reality in our lives, in our trials. Who does that? It's the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings, in Romans 8.18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. When we have hope in Christ, we know that the trials of this life are very temporary. They're not going to last. And we have forever with Christ. And the glory of that is just going to completely overwhelm whatever suffering we went through in this life. But listen, who enables you? 
to have that hope? Who enables you to experience the love of God in that way? It's the Holy Spirit. Look at verse five. Paul says, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The image here of God's love being poured out into our hearts, shed abroad in our hearts, a beautiful image. It's like the image of a, of a bowl just kind of like being tipped over. You know, and God's love just being poured out and, and flooding our hearts. How does that happen? Who makes that happen? He tells us here. He says, God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. John Calvin commenting on verse 5 says this. This knowledge of the divine love towards us is instilled into our hearts by the Spirit of God. For the good things which God has prepared for those who worship him are hidden from the ears, eyes, and minds of people, and the Spirit alone can reveal them. Look, I could stand here all day and try to describe to you how honey tastes. I could, I could come up with the best words that I possibly could to try to describe to you the taste of honey. But you know the only way that you're ever going to know how honey tastes? You've got to taste honey. And who is it that enables us to taste and see that the Lord is good? Only the Spirit of God can do that. He invites you to it. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for all those who are gathered and all those who are watching, wherever they may be. We pray that this would be a divine appointment in many lives. We pray that right now, by the power of your spirit, that someone who did not know you as Savior and Lord a few minutes ago will come to know you now as they turn to you, turn from sin and self and trying to do life apart from you and turn to you right now and trust in your Son and, re and rest in what Christ has done in dying for sinners and, and, and being raised from the dead. We pray that someone right now would be turning to Christ and trusting in him as, as their savior, their Lord, their king, and that, that the Holy Spirit in power would do a miracle in their life right now, whether they're here or whether they're watching. May this be a new day, new life, a day of rescue and salvation. And so we thank you for how you are at work, that you are one living and true God working in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to bring about salvation and to bring about our sanctification, our growth in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.
Amen. Well, listen, um, we are so thankful uh, that you are part of this service today. If you've got a need in your life, if you need to talk to one of us as pastors or pray with us, we're gonna be right outside uh, when you're dismissed um, today in just, in just a few minutes. Um, and so next week, uh, we are gonna begin a new series. We're calling it Summer in the Psalms. And so during these times uh, that we've been going through as, as people, you know, I, I have found my heart just drawn to the Psalms. The psalmists are just, it's raw. I mean, they're, they're pouring out their hearts to God and we can all do that. And so we're gonna talk about in the, the series how these ancient prayers can, can be our prayers and just learn how to, how to pray the Psalms and what they're all about. And we're gonna begin next Sunday with Psalm one. And so well, if you want to read ahead, go ahead and be reading Psalm 1 for next week. And also next Sunday, we're going to recognize um, our graduates in the second service um, as well. Well, listen, thanks for paying attention and, and meeting here at kind of slightly adjusted times um, today. At, uh, we had a good group at, at 8.30 and here again um, at 10.00. But let me tell you, this is not going to be the last adjustments we're going to need to make, okay? So pay attention to your newsletter. Maybe you're not in the habit of reading your church newsletter. Well, get in that habit, okay? Because there's going to be, as, as things change kind of week by week, and, you know, as we can begin to kind of take advantage of more parts of our building, maybe classes can start meeting together and things like that, um, we're gonna, we'll be making announcements and stuff coming, coming up, you know, in, in the weeks to come. But just be, be proactive, right? Read newsletter. Um, pay attention to the church website. If you're on social media, um, then pay attention um, to, to that. Uh, but, but again, um, thanks, for, thanks for being here today. And I just want to send you out with a blessing from the Word of God. And this is from the book of Numbers. And it's Numbers chapter 6. And it's just a, a beautiful blessing um, that is, is yours as you go forth today. Numbers chapter 6 and verses 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. Go in his peace and serve the Lord. As our ushers come to dismiss you. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. 
Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.